Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all for joining us. This is From the Newsroom, our weekly podcast series presented by the staff of the Holland Sentinel. I'm Brian Bernalis, and I'm joined today by managing editor Audrey Gamble. Hello. Who's nursing a cold and is bravely... I'm so sorry. You that's have okay. to listen to my sniffles, that's qu- guys. That's quite all right. <laughs> we're glad you're here because you bring a lot of expertise. Oh, thank you. About this uh, topic we're going to discuss. To my right, Carolyn Muskins. 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 See, I thought... My skin's like think, creature. How long have you been yeah. here? And I, I can't even get your last name right. Carolyn and Audra have been all over the Jared Chance murder trial. This has been a case going since early December. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. December 2nd. Um, yes. yes. Was when they searched. Yeah, and December 2nd was when police arrived at Jared Chance's house and Perhaps. found the body. For people so. who've been living under a rock <laughs> the last, you know, eight months here, yeah. nine months. Can you guys fill in for who the players are in this? Yeah, so um, we're covering this case um, because there are some pretty significant Holland ties. Um, Jared Chance is a um, young man who is a Holland native, even though he um, currently lives in Grand Rapids, although right now he... In prison, but, (laughs) you know, before that um, in, in Grand Rapids. Um, and his his parents and his little brother um, all live in Holland. Um, and uh, he um, was accused of initially just dismembering and then later actually murdering um, another young woman who's a Grand Haven native but was living in Kalamazoo named Ashley Young. Um, and he lived in, in kind of like a duplex situation. So he was on the top floor and there was another person that lived on the bottom floor. Um, and the person on the bottom floor was like, man, something kind of smells bad in the basement. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, it was like sort of the, you know, laundry area ish for the building kind of deal. Um, and this, this downstairs neighbor went downstairs and, um, the thing that smelled terrible was Ashley Young's body, unfortunately. Um, and it was not all of her body. It was basically just kind of her, her torso, um, her to this day her her head and her um hands and feet have not been found by authorities um and carolyn this past week was in grand rapids for the trial of jared chance um his parents were charged separately um with accessory after the fact to a felony um and their um court dates are upcoming they're not happening until october so we'll be covering those as well but we just kind of wanted to do um a, a recap of Kind of all the new new things that we learned in the trial and and what the resolution of that was. Mm-hmm. Carolyn, you were there day one of the trial beginning. What was? Uh, uh, it seems like such. Um, I know there were a ton of TV stations there. Mm-hmm. Uh, virtually everybody from Kalamazoo to Lansing, I think, were there as well. Or was it primarily Grand Rapids media? Um, it was mostly Grand Rapids media. Yeah. Um, 
WZZM was there for the plea. Wood TV. What's the atmosphere? Yeah, what's the atmosphere in the courtroom um, during this trial? Um, It was emotional, definitely. There were a lot of family of Ashley Young. They packed one side of the courtroom. So there was one half of the courtroom was entirely family and friends. And, you know, anytime, anytime they mentioned anything about the dismemberment, anything about um, parts of Ashley's body, that was just a lot for the family to handle. And you could hear crying in the background. Sure. And, and yes, yeah, so there was a lot of the family comforting each other. And just, I think, no, like, no one can imagine what it is like to have to have pictures of your family members body parts shown to a jury like that's just it's an unimaginable thing absolutely and and prior to the actual trial starting carolyn you were there for what was hoped to be a plea agreement yes Um, but it didn't really shake out that way can you talk a little bit about what the the idea behind that was yeah so the prosecutor wanted to find out what happened to the rest of her body sure um they well they they want to know how she died um and they won't know that until they find her head and so they wanted jared chance to confess to the murder um tell them exactly what happened how she was killed and tell them where the rest of her body and where the murder weapon is um and he would have still been pleading to second degree murder so i think his sentence still would have had a pretty high minimum sure um so i think that was it's a bit unusual for a plea deal to not cut any of the charges down at all i mean he still would have been pleading guilty to everything right right um but And we don't know what the maximum sentence would have been for that. But um, he, after the prosecutor outlined this this deal, he just stood up. The judge asked him what he would like to say. And he just said, I'd like to go to trial. Mm -hmm. That's all that he said. Now, my understanding is that, you know, the prosecutor, obviously their goal is to, you know, put someone that that clearly has done something wrong, you know, in in prison um but there also is kind of a um portion of that plea deal that they were sort of hoping for the family's sake that they wouldn't have to take this to trial so that they didn't Mm -hmm. have to kind of drag each little detail out because like you said that is really painful you know for family members and friends to to watch and listen to and frankly it's very difficult to um, select a jury that is comfortable with seeing those things because mm-hmm. when you choose a jury for such a, a gory trial that's you know one of the things that the, the attorneys have to consider is you know if if someone is is called upon the jury that may have you know some sort of trauma in the past or they're just frankly not comfortable with seeing these things that could for sure sway a jury one way or another which obviously is not um, helpful <laughs> in in determining the facts of the case, um, so that can be a very challenging thing when when the details are so 
um, graphic, that's that's a definite challenge for taking something like this to trial. Could you talk about the um, uh, the prosecutor's um, plan? You know, how did he go about presenting his case? What were do you think were some key pieces of evidence that he included? Um, yeah, I, I think he. So he started off with the victim's mother, um, and she talked about this very emotional difficult couple days when she was searching for her daughter um and he i think one of the more difficult things to watch was to watch to see the text messages and conversation that she had with jared chance when she was looking for her daughter and how chance lied to her about having just gotten off the phone with her after of course she was already dead um and was just kind of the prosecutor described it as a like a he was giving her a carrot of hope that his daughter was still alive that her daughter was still alive um and just stringing her along and um so that was definitely it was an emotional start to the trial um he he kind of just it there was so much evidence in the case um that he just kind of most of the trial was methodically obviously walking through all the evidence um there were 250 exhibits oh, wow. of evidence in this case so <laughs> and one of one of the fascinating things that i learned covering the trial actually is that um prosecutors have a limit to how much evidence they can actually test for DNA. Okay. So the lab, the Michigan State Police Lab in Grand Rapids limits pretty much all criminal cases to only two pieces of evidence that you can test for DNA. Um in extreme homicides, they'll they'll bring that up to 7 and then in this case they made an another exception and let they let police test nine pieces of evidence for dna so they have to be pretty selective about what they're they're sending over yeah and that was a huge challenge for the prosecutors and for the detectives because they had you know over 200 pieces of evidence and a lot of them were different things with like blood stains or what looked like blood stains and they just weren't able to test everything Hmm. And some of the things they did test, they struck out and they didn't get any DNA off of them. Um, So that was definitely interesting to learn about. Um, So, Carolyn, one of the things that I always think is is particularly fascinating, and this may be sort of, I don't know, the previous crime reporter morbidness, (laughs) but... um, I always think it's really fascinating when the medical examiner testifies and they Mm -hmm. kind of walk you through, you know, what they can learn just from from someone's remains. Um, But I understand that in this particular case, they were kind of limited in in determining their findings in terms of what caused the death of Ashley Young just because they didn't have a full body to to do an autopsy on. when they kind of walked through, you know, what they 
were able to, t- to talk about or, you know, make inferences from, um, they mentioned that, you know, the cause of death really can't, can't be determined because the assumption is that there was some sort of wound to the skull, but when you don't have, you know, her head, it's really difficult to say anything definitively, but I thought it was really fascinating what you were writing about, um, you know, what they, they learned from her clothing items. Um, Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about like what, what they determined based off of like it was her sweatshirt specifically her right? sweatshirt yeah her sweatshirt was found stuffed in a cardboard box uh in jared's apartment in chance's apartment and it had what the prosecutor described as matter it had oh gracious like her it had her flesh essentially yeah on it and just spattered on it and from that they can determine um, that it was probably either a blow to the head or a gunshot to the head based on that. I mean, the other possibility that they've mentioned, of course, is strangulation um, because they don't have her upper neck where that would show up for the medical examiner. Um, But just because of her sweatshirt, that's, uh, that's why they assume that it was some kind of wound to the head. Do they have an idea of particular murder weapon in this case? I know you mentioned yes. they found a twenty-two. was it? Well, Jared had a twenty-two, but they didn't find it, okay. which is why they suspect it could be the murder weapon and that he, he disposed of it to get rid of evidence. But um, they did find spent shell casings, mm-hmm. correct? Okay. So, yeah, there was this heating vent on his floor and it led down to this furnace in the basement and you could drop things down from his apartment and they would go all the way down to the bottom. They found over 422 cartridges and two spent casings. In the furnace? Yes. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, And they so they tried to do ballistics testing on them and they couldn't get anything off of them um they had someone come in and testify that they weren't able to make any determinations from them which they said was not uncommon for 22s because they're just so small Um, but they had witnesses who said they saw chance playing with a a 22 revolver and his brother testified that he had one um, and they've just never been able to find it do we know if they've been able to pin a motive to this? Yeah, that's a a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> the prosecutor specifically, he shied away from trying to put any motive to the crime. He really just said in his closing statement that he'll never be able to understand, he'll never be able to get inside Chance's mind and he doesn't know why he did what he did. And all the prosecutor had to prove was that he did it sure um but there were some hints um and actually in some of the defense attorney's statements there were some hints um so chance and ashley young the victim they were friends seven or eight years ago and they had like high school friends right right yeah i don't know exactly how they knew each other back then but um 
they were friends and they hadn't seen each other in seven years. And then um, Jared Chance and his brother were in Kalamazoo and their car had broken down and they had called Ashley to help. And so they had reconnected the week that she was killed and they had decided to meet up in Grand Rapids. And that's when they went out to the bars and that was the night before she was killed. Um, but she, her, we got to see her last couple of text messages in court. And uh, one of them said, he admitted he used to like me back then, which we assume is talking about Jared Chance. Um, and the defense attorney when he was trying to make the point that, you know, Jared Chance would not have killed this person. And he said, Jared wouldn't have killed this person. He liked her. He had a crush on her. Now, to me, I hear that and I think, well, that could be a motive. (laughs) I mean, if you have, if you are in love with someone and they don't like you back, I mean, there's, there's a possibility there. But it certainly doesn't seem like it was planned ahead of time. It it seems like something that just happened. Sure. I'm glad you. Oh, sorry. No, you're fine, Brad. I'm glad you brought up the defense attorney um, and their case because he, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was up against a brick wall in this case. Uh, you know, he didn't have a lot in his corner to work with. So what? You know, he really didn't present anybody witnesses or any evidence, did he? No, he did not present any witnesses or evidence. Um, He had a couple different tactics that he used to try to make his case, to make his defense. Uh, One of them was um, pretty much any time a police officer took the stand, he asked them to testify about the neighborhood being a high crime area, um, which it is. Uh, he, He brought up... Uh, he tried to make the case that there were other suspects that were not um, looked at closely enough. Uh, he hit on the point that the other two people who live in the duplex, their DNA was not collected or tested against the evidence that was found. Um, but I really think what kind of ruined the, the whole idea of someone else committing the murder for for the defense attorney was finding Ashley Young's DNA at Jared Chance's parents' house in Holland. I really think the Holland connection kind of sealed Jared Chance's fate because the defense attorney was kind of, he was leading the jury to perhaps think that someone could have broken in and just put her body and just dumped her body yeah. in this house. Right. Um, he was trying to make the point that he questioned the detectives a lot about the place being secured. He was trying to make the point that perhaps someone could have broken in to the house and planted evidence or put the body there. But, really there's no other explanation for the fact that Ashley Young's blood is at the Chances the parents', parents house in yeah, Holland. Sure. I mean, when he brought up, so he really hit hard on this other suspect that was brought up that apparently looked like Jared Chance. 
Um, this guy's name was Dakota Gordon, and apparently his name had come up because he was at the house visiting the downstairs neighbors around the same time that her body was found and supposedly looked like Jared Chance. But then the prosecutor came back and said, well, was her blood found at Dakota Gordon's parents' house or Jared Chance's parents' house? Right. Right. Well, I thought that was kind of an interesting tactic for the defense attorney to take, um, especially because, so the idea is that at least some of Ashley Young's body parts were taken from the home in Grand Rapids where Jared Chance lived to his parents' home um, in Holland after his parents and his little brother Conrad went to go pick him up and then eventually returned him to Grand Rapids where he then took the body parts with him again. Um, so for a night or so, there were some parts of Ashley that were um, in the the basically like the, the back of the family car um, mm-hmm. in Holland, um, and that's that's partially why the the home in Holland was was raided, uh, you know, searched by police. Um, but I, you know, when I look at a case and I've, you know, reported on unfortunately, you know, several murder trials, um, I really thought that the defense attorney was going to try to convince the jury that Jared may have. Um, you know, dismembered her, but may not have been the actual killer, that he just tried to, you know, dispose of her after her death, Um, especially because there was no murder weapon found by police and they didn't have the head. Um, So there were a lot of, um, you know, factual jumps that had to be made to go from, um, you know, death to dismemberment, or murder to dismemberment. Like, those are two very different yeah. things. Um, and I was kind of surprised that the defense attorney didn't kind of try to hit that harder throughout the trial. He did. That was kind of the point of his closing argument. Um, he didn't say it in so many words, but he was his essential argument was you can't prove that he killed her you might you might be able to show that he dismembered her sure. and that he concealed her death for some reason but you can't prove that he killed her however the jury disagreed <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so Carolyn, the, the jury yeah. convicted him of what were all of the charges so second degree murder three counts of tampering with evidence dismembering what is that I think the charges the, the charges mutilation mutilation of a body and concealing a death which is not reporting a death to any emergency or law enforcement sure, or medical official yeah so Jared now is going to be sentenced mm-hmm. um, do you do we have a date set for the sentencing yet um, I don't know off the top of my oh, head. I no, think it's okay. <laughs> it's it's early October. I think it's October tenth. Okay, so which is November. just before the parent the parents' trial is yeah. right now scheduled for the fourteenth. So now the parents they have the same charges but are being tried separately. Correct. Yes, I believe so. Okay, yes. so so let's talk a little bit about mom and dad. So <laughs> um, so it's James and Barbara Chance. Um, they've lived in Holland for 20 some years. Um, James Chance, I think, is, is kind of an interesting um, legal question. <laughs> yeah. Because he has a 
background in law enforcement. He was a police sergeant, not in the state of Michigan, but prior to them moving to Holland. Um, so it's interesting uh, to kind of see. So I was at the, the preliminary exam hearing for James Chance. Barbara Chance waived her hearing, which basically meant we'll see you at trial. <laughs> we'll see you in circuit court. Um, but James Chance, there were multiple pe- people that testified um, already. So we have a little bit kind of of the the background and um, we've heard from from attorneys at least a small amount Um, and it was surprising to me during that that preliminary hearing to hear um, attorneys kind of try to claim that you know as a a previous police officer that James Chance had perhaps a a higher level of you know accountability that should have been put upon him to you know, report what he believed his son did to the proper authorities than perhaps his wife Barbara did. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out in in trial if they end up going to trial. We still have a little bit of time for them to to plead out if they so choose, but um, I think and it will they, be... They might be more likely to after right. their son's been convicted. Yeah, so, but... so neither of them testified, correct? No, Okay. and they never showed up in the courtroom oh interesting either i was wondering if they would sure but, mm-hmm. but little brother conrad did take the stand correct he did okay yes so what was that like kind of hearing from from jared's family member during the trial where they did he kind of try to you know support his big brother or did he kind of throw him under the bus he honestly he didn't say a lot either way um he did he did bring an attorney with him to testify which was interesting and he a lot of questions he was asked he just said i don't know or i don't remember Mm, okay um he did testify that he loaded the cardboard box containing her arms and legs into his parents honda and I think that was unbeknownst to him. Right. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> so an interesting family dynamic going on there, guys. <laughs> um, and then uh, I did want to mention that uh, we previously wrote a story, um, gosh, early this year, maybe. Um, we received from the Holland Police Department all of the calls that they went to the Chance family home. Um, and there were quite a few calls that involved the two brothers, Jared and Conrad. Um, there were multiple occasions where the two were um, fighting so much that, that one of the parents called police or a neighbor called police. Um, there were also some some indications in those calls of some substance abuse um, by at least Jared Chance. Um, there was one instance in which um, they had uh, first responders had to revive him with Narcan of, a, of an overdose. Um, so there were there were quite a um, list of of calls to the chance residents. Um, so they they were um, as as our friend over at the Ottawa County Sheriff's Office, Captain Mark Bennett, would say they they were known to law enforcement. Um, so there's kind of a, a history there, um, and I'm curious to see sort of you know what that family dynamic. Um, was and and up to the the death of Ashley Young, and I think we're going to hear a little bit more about that 
should either of the parents go go to trial on their charges. <laughs> Wait a minute. What time we got? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, you want to wrap it on that one? Yeah, I mean, this is it's a really gory ta- gory case to talk about, unfortunately. Um, but hold on, I, hold on. Oh. Uh, I thought we were cutting. Oh, I do. Okay. Oh, okay. Cut <laughs> after Audra's. Okay, now. I don't know what I'm saying, Brian. Okay, no. Um, I just want to see what direction we want to go in. Oh, oh, I did want to talk about on the parents' case the cell phone evidence oh, and going yeah. down to 44th and Kalamazoo. Good okay. call. All right. When I come back to you, we'll start on that. Okay. 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 Ready? Three, two, one. So I did want to mention that there was some new evidence presented at the trial from a cell phone expert at GRPD who tracked Barbara Chance's cell phones movements. Um, he was able to recreate like a, essentially a video showing Barbara Chance's movements, Jared Chance's movements, and Ashley Young's movements over a period of days. Um, and those videos, that, that, that evidence showed that Ashley Young and Jared Chance, both of their cell phones traveled to the area of 44th Street and Kalamazoo in Grand Rapids the morning that she was killed. And then her phone turns off and is never heard from again, never never goes online again. Um, then when, then Jared Chance's phone goes back to his apartment. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, then when Jared Chance is picked up by his family, they tracked Barbara Chance's phone and Barbara Chance and Jared Chance's phone go back to that same location, 44th and Kalamazoo before going out to Costco and going out back out to Holland. Um, and the prosecutor presented a theory that they were going to that area to either dispose of evidence further or to make sure that evidence was disposed of. The theory being Jared Chance went down to that area to th- get rid of Ashley's cell phone and perhaps the the murder weapon or her hands or feet or who knows what um and they were going back there to make sure that it was gone if he had tossed it in a dumpster to make sure that the dumpster had been emptied and that sort of thing um so that was one what's at that what's at that the area there 44th and kalamazoo um it's, it's just a, kind of it's not a landfill or anything like that is it no no it's it's like a commercial business mm. district um there are a couple parks around that area um uh, which was mentioned by law enforcement because he had some burrs on his clothing okay they think he may have gone into the woods around that area okay. to get rid of something, but they did search that whole area with cadaver dogs okay. and they didn't find anything. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of just, there's like a speedway and a McDonald's and a, I mean, it's, they said they, they counted how many dumpsters there were in that area. And I can't remember the number, but it was, you know, like dozens right, of wow. dumpsters. Yeah. A, sure. Cause that is, it's a little commercial commercial area right basically. yeah interesting so 
do you feel like um you know the the information that we heard at jared chance's trial is going to play a part when the when the parents end up in court in october well i think i mean i think some of the evidence will definitely be the same the cell phone evidence um probably some of the same detectives and technicians will testify um yeah, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I know it's kind of hard to predict what a prosecutor is going to. It is use the same. It's the same prosecutor. Okay. For the parents' case as well. So. Interesting. Different defense attorneys. Yes, yeah. I believe so. Correct. Yeah, yeah. and as far mm-hmm. as we know, um, you know, the last information that we had is that um, Barbara and James are not using the same attorney, even though their charges are identical. Um, and it must be kind of difficult to, um, you know, be at home because you can't talk about <laughs> legal yeah. matters with each other, especially when you're using different attorneys. Um, so we're kind of interested to see sort of where this goes as, as um, you know, the the direct Holland um, connection, the, the two parents um, continue in their legal proceedings as well. Mm-hmm. Carolyn, did you have any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Final thoughts? Uh, <laughs> did anything surprise you from this trial? Were you, did anything catch you off guard? You, you know, one of those, you know, L.A. Law, Matlock, holy cow, where did that come from moments? <laughs> um, I think no, nothing crazy surprised me. I mean... There were some little tidbits that I had never heard before. The the over 400 cartridges yeah. found in the furnace, you know, the the text messages between the Jared Chance and the mother. Um, there are definitely some things that were a lot more shocking to hear about in person than to just read about in the in a police report. I think the the kind of striking thing for me, um, something that we we sometimes say in the newsroom, <laughs> um, is that competent criminals plan ahead, <laughs> and by that we mean, um, you know, there are a lot of times where we're following a case and and um, a suspect will say something that just like man, just keep your mouth shut, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was um, some information from the the neighbor that ended up finding the body that um previous to you know this this actual incident that jared was kind of boasting um that he knew how to murder someone and get away with it it was like this kind of very offhanded comment that he made when they were like at a dinner table together kind of deal um and just hearing the the kind of sheer amount of evidence i mean you're saying 250 exhibits and and the the kind of i mean just frankly mess um that i mean there was um blood everywhere there were you know pieces of human flesh in various places in his apartment like it just in you know kind of looking back it's like man is that an an ironic statement that he made because no jared you did not (laughs) (laughs) you did not know how to get away with it um but it's, you know, those kind of things that, you know, in the moment it might be like, oh, that's a weird thing to say, you know, but 
you know, after the fact, you're like, oh, man, that was that was a real red flag there. Um, but, you know, how could that neighbor have known, you know, th- that that was what was going to happen? But um, those kinds of things that kind of come, I don't know, a full circle is, is the right phrase for that. But, you know, just kind of hearing those things play out um, to the end point as always. Yeah. Now, now that I think about it, there one moment that definitely stood out was um, the prosecutor's closing statement. This was actually his rebuttal. So the defense attorney had said he had been making the point, you know, you can't prove that my client killed him. May, he may have dismembered Ashley Young, but you can't prove that he killed her. The prosecutor held a, got the saw out, the saw oh that gosh. was found at the Holland, Holland home. He pulled out the saw and held it up to the jury, and he said, like, which, which one of you could turn this saw on and, like, feel it cut through a bone? And he just, like, he laid it all out there and walked the jury through, like, what would it take to dismember a body? And could anyone do that? if they were not the person who had killed someone else. Could anyone do that? And that moment was really, really powerful, definitely. Well, I wanted to thank Carolyn and Audra for joining us. I think we'll uh, wrap it up on that note. Thank you all for listening. (laughs) We'll see you next time on From the Newsroom. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.